Greetings and welcome to The House Podcast. My name is Michael and I'm so glad that you're here listening with us. The House Podcast shares the message each week from our local gathering in Central Ohio, which is a gathering of those practicing or interested in practicing the way of Jesus together in our city. In addition to the message given each week by the speaker, we also occasionally will share bonus content, such as interviews with speakers, more in-depth discussion around certain topics, and practical exercises that can help you grow as an apprentice of Jesus. The House Podcast is part of the VIA Podcast Network, which is a larger network of podcasts, all designed to help you and your community live out the way of Jesus in your context. For more information about The House or VIA, you can find us at theviacollective.com. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at thehouse.gathering. If you would like to contribute to The House financially, you can also do that at theviacollective.com. We're so glad you're here with us today, and may you be blessed by this week's message. Hello, good evening. My name is Brittany Pound. I have been a ministry leader and on staff at Spring Hills for the past uh, 11 years. And I'm super excited to join you guys during this relationship series. I'm going to just keep going back and forth like this because we're a little spread out. But um, tonight we're going to be tackling uh, what it means to apply kingdom kingdom principles into our relationships. You guys mostly know Dan. He's here uh, more frequently than I am, but we are about to celebrate our 18th wedding anniversary, so it's pretty great. Dan and I met in college, and we were, I was 18 years old. Just wrap your mind around that. Hope some of you are close to that. And then um, we started dating when I was 19. We got engaged when I was 20, and we were married at 21. Now I have four sons, And if any of them came to me at 21 years old and were like, I'm ready to get married, I would have a really uh, hard and long conversation with them about what that actually means and whether they're really ready to take on something as big as a marriage relationship. Now, I grew up here in Ohio, um, but I grew up in a pretty broken home. I grew up with a single teenage mom. My mom was 18 years old when she had twins double packaged, in case you didn't know I was a twin. And um, she really faced quite a few struggles. I moved 16 or 18 times before I turned 16 years old. Uh, We were homeless multiple times. My mom had a um, very unfortunate alcohol addiction and she used drugs and she was diagnosed with bipolar. So we were facing a lot as children. Now, hi guys. Um, So, I got saved when I was 12 years old. Probably the best way to explain my salvation experience is just the word supernatural. My salvation experience didn't come when somebody came to teach me about Jesus, and it didn't come when somebody said, pray this prayer, here's the lines, here's the words. Because really my experience came, I was uh, sitting at a, I was sleeping at a neighbor's or friend's house, and I was sleeping on a pull-out couch, and the Holy Spirit just came over me. And I just basically went from not understanding God and what he was offering to fully understanding it. And really the biggest issue I had is I really struggled with the idea that I was a sinner. It was very difficult whenever my worldview of sin was being shaped by what was actually a very violent and abusive environment. At 12 years old, I really struggled to be like, hmm, 
I can put myself in that category. I just felt like I was good. And in fact, I was often praised by every adult in my life because I was a really good kid because the consequences of not being good were extreme. It really wasn't optional. So I was constantly being praised. So when it came to learning about Jesus, I just didn't really get what it meant that I was a sinner. And when the Holy Spirit came over me, it wasn't my sin that God revealed. It was his goodness. And immediately, I became acutely aware of the fact that I did not match the righteousness and the goodness of God. His goodness was so out of reach, even if I wasn't as bad as, as these abusive people, or these violent people that I was on a regular basis exposed to. So it was then that I accepted Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And literally laying in bed, crying, I just do that I, I accepted Jesus, I needed him, I needed that sacrifice to be made for me, and I just told God right then I was going to follow him. And that is the foundation of all of my relationships since then. I am struggling, you guys, with a lot of coughing and cold stuff, so I'm not COVID positive, I promise, but bear with me. So tonight we're going to be talking about how do we start applying these kingdom principles in our life. And wait a minute, I forgot this. Um, here's a very young Dan and Brittany Pound, only 21 and 22 years old. There you go. Babies, that's at Spring Hills. Those lattice walls were built for us. <laughs> Forgive us. I don't think they're around anymore, so. Today, though, we're going to be talking about these relationships now, when we look at our relationships, the first type of relationship is one that we actually very naturally attain, which is one that comes from our flesh. And this is what we call a, when we seek autonomy and we define our relationships and our marriage on our own. What this means is that we begin to say that I am seeking my own freedom. I'm going to define my own uh, moral independence. I am going to step outside of what God has designed and say, I'm going to kind of figure this out on my own. It's usually I'm going to mimic relationships based on the, the uh, world around me. You often see it, you know, declared in movies. We see it sung about in songs. And it's often very um, done in a lot of victory. I'm independent. I am in control. This is actually a lot like what we see in the garden. In Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve were made in the likeness of God in his image, and they are brought into relationship with God the Father, and he even calls it good. He says this relationship is good. And then we see Adam and Eve do exactly this. They seek autonomy. They come out and they're like, I'm going to seize my own identity. And they go and they eat from the fruit of the tree of um, knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, they're saying, I'm rejecting God's plan. I'm, I have lost faith that what God has designed was already perfect. And I'm going to come out and see what I can do on my own. When we see this decision made, we basically see the disruption of all relationships. The relationships of God and his people. We see the disruption of the relationships between all people. That's our uh, relationships with our spouses and our children, the relationships we see among people groups, and the relationships we see um, with just everybody in our lives. And then we also see the disruption of the relationship between God and his creation. 
See, when we choose to walk outside of God's design, we're just being driven by our flesh. This is a, an impulsive experience. And it's, for me, what I was being taught in a broken home. This is what I was learning. And this is, so these, that, what does that call out of me? Well, it's a whole lot of self-reliance, a lot of independence, the need to be in control. So this is the foundation of the relationships that I have with uh, those people around me. Now, this is obviously not what God has designed for us. See, when God has designed for us, what he's offered to us is to be in that full relationship. I didn't get, there you go, that was the other one. <laughs> what God has designed for us is that we actually can trust in God's design for our relationships and our marriages. So what does that look like? Well, this is when we actually offer the power of the Holy Spirit, that salvation experience, into our lives. We actually experience salvation. And then we actually invite Jesus and the Holy Spirit into all of our relationships. This is when we're actually choosing to model heaven on earth. We begin modeling kingdom principles in our relationships and reflecting the heavenly characteristics. So what does it look like? Uh, I want to look at Ephesians. Oops, I'm really bad with this, sorry. But Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And he says that we're going to follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In this verse, we actually says, it says to become followers of God. But that word followers actually translates to be to mimic or to imitate. See, God's call for us to be in relationship with him is actually a call to actually take on his character. We are to become a, a, a resemblance of him. And that means a rejection of the, of the world that is around us and a rejection of what those relationships are being defined. And we begin asking, well, what is it? How does God define those relationships? To reflect Jesus, we actually have to know him. We actually have to know him. And it's, it's hard work. It requires work on our part. Uh, one of the easiest ways, isn't this is something that, you know, we lead children's ministry. And so you, if you're like me, you just sing this because it's a song in your head and it's not just scripture, but it's the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is constantly being played at our house in every conversation. We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. It's, hey, you know what? Did you show love when you just said that to your brother? Could I have brought more joy? Am I a source of God's goodness in this, in this environment? In this conflict, could I have been more gentle? Do I, am I being faithful in taking on the character of God to taking on these, um, or could I have been more self-controlled? Did I allow anger to step in? We actually have to put in the work. Now, this here is a man named Peter Lord. He's actually so special to me. Um, I was in eighth grade when I met him. I told you I grew up in Ohio, but I moved 16 times, uh, or 18 times before I turned 16. And in that time, almost every place I lived was actually within walking distance or a bike ride to the same exact church, Northside Baptist Church right here, or in Lebanon, Ohio. 
And it was a very traditional Baptist church. And if you can imagine, very blue carpet, no sparkly ceilings, but all blue carpet, rows of pews, and a center aisle. And we were hosting a revival, which was very common. And I was a weeknight. I came in. I sat on the left-hand side, only a few rows back. And I actually had my first prophetic word. I never experienced this in my life. He is famous uh, for teaching people to hear the voice of God. He wrote a book called Hearing the Voice of God. And I am sitting there, and I just keep hearing this voice in my head saying, he's going to stop preaching and come talk to you. <laughs> he's going to stop preaching and come talk to you, which is just weird. Remind you that at, at eighth grade, I was like 13 or 14 years old. Okay, and in my mind, I'm like, why am I having these weird thoughts? I don't even recognize the voice of God. I hadn't been in communication with him in an intimate enough way that I was even recognizing his voice when he was speaking to me. But here I am. He's going to stop preaching and come talk to you. And within just a few minutes, he stops preaching. He walks off the stage, comes down just a few rows, and he's like, I don't know what's going on, but God is not going to let me preach this sermon until I come talk to you. And I was like, what? That's amazing, right? I just, God was telling me this was going to happen, and it's happening right before me. And he invited me out, and he asked me to come up, and he's just like, I don't even really know what the word is, but I'm just going to start praying, and we'll see what God has to say. And he began to pray, and he began to pray for my future husband. He began to speak over my husband. I'm again, I'm like 13 and 14 years old. This is like so bizarre. In fact, I have two boys that are in that same age range. I got a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old. If anybody came and said, I got a prophetic word, I'm going to give you a prophecy about your children who are, I'd be like, hold up. He began prophesying over my future husband, and he said, God has it all planned out. He said, I have a plan for your husband. I already know him, and Dan really loves this part. He's really taking this to heart. He says he's going to be a prince among men. He loves it. <laughs> and that seems crazy, but God has a plan. It, my life verse, I don't know if you have one of those, but something I've taken on is Jeremiah 29, 11. For God knows the plans that he has for you, and they're going to be plans. They're good plans. So here we are just praising. He's just giving me this word, and he starts telling me all about this future husband I'm going to have. And God showed up at just the right time because I was a really vulnerable girl living in a fatherless home, pretty much unsupervised by a mother who was not involved in my life whatsoever. And for the next few years, when all of these teenage girls begin become boy crazy and they're, they're seeking their identity out because they want to have a boy that will give them attention and they want this relationship and they want to be a part of something, I sailed through. Like, sailed through. Didn't care. I always got the perfect prom date. was just this great guy friend. I always had uh, awesome, fun experiences, but I never had to feel like it was this conflict Literally, this man started speaking life into my future, and I just trusted it. In that moment, I said, what God has for me, I receive it. I'm going to trust it, and I'm literally defining my relationships around it. 
I got to tell you what God has for me, he has for you. And it might not just be a romantic relationship. It's whatever relationship that needs healed or restored or found or discovered. There, everything that Peter Lord told me that day wasn't something that you can't find in scripture. He's already got a good plan for me, but he was just calling it out. He was bringing me, my attention to it. Because at eighth grade, I wasn't doing deep dive Bible studies. And nobody in my home was bringing me to the word. But God had a plan for me, and he wanted me to know about it. Ecclesiastes, uh, verses 1 through, or 3 through 11, it says that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. This goes on for much further. But there is no experience that we can't take Jesus into. There is no experience that we can't experience or, or feel his power and his plan within us. I know you guys have been going through a series on identity, and it's so, so important and so good because really our identity in Christ is the foundation of every decision we make. It's the every decision we make. If you're sitting here and you're questioning if God has a plan for every area of your life, it probably just means you have some more work to do in your identity. Not that we all, like, there is no checkbox, right? Oh, I figured out my identity in Christ and I'm moving on. But you've, you've engaged the relationship with the Lord and your identity. And, you know, it means we have to go back and have a review every once in a while. Hey, you know what? I'm noticing I'm acting out of something that doesn't honor the Lord. It doesn't reveal the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't reveal his love. Something in me needs to have a check and I need to go back. But what I'm saying is if you are having a hard time believing that God has a plan in any of these areas, you need to go back to his promises because he's got a plan. I want to tell you that having a um, clearly defined belief system is super important, especially if you're going to want to defend it. Now, I had plenty of experiences with boys from the time I was in eighth grade until I was a freshman in college, and I found my future husband. But Along the way, it was super easy to identify when the relationship wasn't good because it didn't clearly identify what God had already promised me. And I can promise if you don't have clearly defined core values around who you are in the Lord, then you're not going to be able to defend yourself when you just get some really great attention from somebody who's, you know, whether it's a really pretty girl or a really handsome guy or whoever might be coming at you. When you don't have clearly defined um, core values, it's just, you, it's very difficult to continue to defend them. When I was, or what, actually here, I want us to consider these just four quick questions. The first one is, am I ready for a romantic relationship or should I learn to be content or grounded in my relationship with God for a season? This is, do I need to find myself and my identity in the Lord before I try to open my a relationship for another person, right? Question two, am I trusting God with my relationships or am I trying to do this on my own? And this one I feel like we kind of jump in and out of. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust God on this one, but oh wait, I just got something that, that, that this might be able to work out, so we're going to jump. It's kind of like we're jumping in and out of whether, you know, coming out, in and out of whatever God's authority is in this area of our lives. Am I, 
Am I honoring my relationships by, re uh, by rejecting worldly ideals and submitting to kingdom principles? And what does that mean? Am I allowing my social group to tell me what's okay and what's not okay in any of my relationships? Am I allowing them to determine who I'm getting in a relationship with? Am I even allowing other parents to define how I should be parenting? Do I allow culture to dictate whether my kid is allowed to be on social media or if I should be stepping in? Do I allow culture to dictate whether we're going to watch these type, this type of media, listen to this kind of music? Am I really honoring my relationships by rejecting the worldly ideas? You know, we, all, we actually think that this is the normal way of thinking, right? The worldly concepts, this is like the normal way of thinking. Because anybody you meet is going to be like, well, you're not normal and you're not in agreement that this is uh, how we're supposed to be living our lives. But this is actually just rejecting the wrong option. <laughs> We're coming into alignment with what God has for, already planned for us. And then the question four, am I ready to make changes so my relationships will reflect kingdom principles? Now, when I, we got married, I was 21 years old. And within six months, we get pregnant for, with our first child. We now know it's a son. <laughs> Figured it out. And... I was at home, we had a really small apartment. I was a senior in college. Dan had already graduated, he was at work. And I'm sitting in this very small apartment and I find out I'm pregnant. And let me tell you that literally fear I didn't know existed was legitimately swallowing me whole. It's like it dawned on me, I'd never seen any good parenting in my entire life in that one moment. I, I completely discovered the fact that I actually don't even, I didn't like my mother. I have almost no good memories with her. I was never taught how to be a mother at any point in my life. And I was going to become one. It was sheer terror. It was t absolute terror was beginning to swallow me whole. I called Dan on the phone and I pretty much demanded he leave work right then and come home. We lived in a really small town in central Kentucky, so it was about 15 minutes. And I just sat in the stairwell. The walls went all the way to the ceiling. It just felt like the smallest place I could find to hide from this, this future of becoming a parent. I, I just couldn't even grasp it. On Dan's ride home, God said, he just revealed to him, we're gonna be parents. And he said, go home and tell Brittany she's going to be a great mother. He came inside. And he joined me in my stairwell. And he wrapped his arms around me. He's like, hey, I know. We're going to be parents. God told me. And he said, he began speaking life in the midst of my fear. And he said, don't worry, because you're going to be a great mother. And just like I did when I was in eighth grade, I trusted God at his word. I said, God has my husband already planned out. He's going to take care of it. And immediately, 
I accepted that my lack of experience, my lack of exposure to godly parenting, my inability did not in any way diminish God's ability and God's knowledge to parent. Now, it doesn't mean we can just check out and say, hey, God's going to take care of it. I'm just going to ride this wave. It'll all work out. Now, there's a whole lot of hard work involved because it, just like in the garden, it's an invitation to be in the relationship. I actually always define my parenting as supernatural parenting because, praise God, we have four really amazing young men in our lives. And ultimately, parenting has been just genuinely quite easy. Why? Because we openly invite the Lord to call out the yuck and to fix it, and we rely on his game plan, and we don't try to develop a game plan on our own. See, when we accept that God's plan, and we trust in his word, and we actually adopt it into our core belief system, we actually have the ability to defend it, and it has the ability to define the way our lives are playing out. There's actually a study. Uh, this is super interesting. It was um, an association for psychological science, the APS, or APS. But actually, there's two different studies. And it says that thinking about God, their findings are that thinking about God reduces distress, but only in believers. I'm going to re just read you their findings here. It says that these two experiments, these researchers showed that when people think about religion and God, their brains respond differently in a way that lets them take setbacks and it, their reaction is with less distress and less anxiety even when making mistakes. See, these results show that when people were primed to think about religion and God, either consciously or unconsciously. They had bra their brain activity decreased in the areas associated with the number of things, like including uh, regulating the body's state of arousal and serving as an alert, your alert system and functions. When things are going wrong in believers, their brains respond differently, even when they're doing something wrong, even when they made mistakes. But it showed that atheists, they reacted differently. In fact, when they were unconsciously primed with God-related God ideas, their experience increased its activity. See, our bodies have a physical response to inviting God into our relationships. One of my absolute favorite Bible stories is the story of Joseph's life. Now, this is covered in um, Genesis chapters 37 to 50, is we receive his account of his life. Joseph was uh, born into Jacob's family. He was actually well-educated. He was very blessed and honored by his father, but he was absolutely hated by his siblings. At 17 years old, he's actually beaten by his family kidnapped, human trafficked into Egypt, sold to, into slavery. He's sexually assaulted, falsely accused, imprisoned. 
This all happens within a matter of 13 years. So he's literally imprisoned anywhere from about two years to up to 13 years of his life. And what I absolutely just love is that he then comes out and we can go back to, it's hard to see anybody going through any of that, right? And say that God has a plan, right? It's difficult to hear all of those things. But I so identify with what he does next. God then calls him up out of prison. He begins to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh, which goes on to save the, all of the Egyptians. And he's, made in, into, he's put into place of second command under Pharaoh in all of Egypt. And then he has his first son, and he names him Manasseh, which means causing to forget. We're talking about a man whose life was full of a lot of trauma, a lot of broken relationships. Now, he didn't physically forget his history. He could give you an account to his history, but what he couldn't give you anymore is an account to the pain and the suffering. He had been delivered from it. Delivered in a way he says it's forgotten. I could sit here and account to you today the very horrific life of my childhood. But I can equally tell you that it has no hold on me because when we accept the Lord into our relationships, he brings a level of healing that makes it feel more like, like a reel from a movie. I can give you an account. I can give you dates and times. But I can't tell you about the pain and the suffering because I've been set free. I've been delivered. And it gets better. Joseph then goes on to name his second son. And in his second son, he names him Ephraim. And it means being fruitful. God is wanting to close the door to the pain and the suffering in your life, the harmful relationships, the bad patterns. See, the world is going to teach you, you have to carry it with you. You have to learn to live with your trauma. You have to learn to accept it and bring it into every relationship. I'm promising you, you don't have to. You can actually just let it go and begin operating under the principles that we're going to reveal the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to begin operating under, in a way that other people around us. This is a culture shift. It doesn't happen overnight. It's more like practice. Dan and I have been practicing our marriage for 18 years. Praise God we're not reliving the first five, because the first five, if you were here last week, Tom broke down our marriage, our marriage and relationships into four areas, and the first one was a roommate. Wow. The other three were actually quite easy for us, <laughs> but learning to be roommates, that was like a whole, like, five years. Like, I'm not kidding. Taking a girl who was independent, raised on her own, did everything by herself, you know, and then a very lovely family my husband's from, <laughs> very lovely, but literally didn't know how to wash a dish, do any laundry, ever take care of himself in any form or fashion. I love you. I do love you. I do love you. There were a few strikes on cleaning in our house in the first five years because I was like, I'm just done with you. And, and two rounds of counseling with Tom. All to learn to be roommates. We made it, but we've been practicing. And we have a culture now 
that identifies with kingdom principles. Now, instead of you're mistreating me, I'm angry, I'm hurt, and acting out, silent treatment, outburst, or anger, you know what? Now we're, we're, we have a culture in our home. And even when we act out, because that still happens, but you know how fast it fix, it's fixed? It's very, very rare that within an hour, we're not back together and being like, okay, family, we had a breakdown. <laughs> I did not reveal God's love in that moment. I allowed my anger to take over. We come back and we say, this is what it is. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. I want you to think about where do you find yourself. Maybe tonight where, you're, where you are is, I need to probably say it's that first question, where am I grounded in my relationship with Jesus Christ? I don't really have core values that are easily defined, and I'm not able to defend them by any of the experiences around me. Maybe my coworkers are inviting me out and, and inviting me into places I shouldn't be going, or, uh, you know, everybody in my culture is basically telling me that I don't even have to think this way anymore. Maybe you need to be like, okay, I need to readjust my relationship with the Lord and then have some really clearly defined principles that you're going to live by. Maybe it's time to start really getting in the word and studying and learning because you can't mimic what you haven't studied or learned. I can't reflect Jesus if I don't even know what he looks like or what he lived like. Or maybe you actually know a whole lot and it's just really time to commit to being the reflection of and, and the imitator that we were really called to be. And it can't be done in our power. It is, it's an invitation to that same relationship. It's a return to the perfect design God had in, in the Garden of Eden. It's a return to, I was designed to be fully in relationship with you. And I'm not going to go outside of what you're asking because I'm not going to try to define all of these relationships on my own. And what I don't want you to hear me saying is that you don't play a part. Like it's just, well, God already has it all figured out. I'm never going to go on a date because my husband will just magically appear. In fact, when I met Dan, I was so clearly identified in what God had told me. What Dan and I are, we're best friends. Like straight up, just fun all the time. Like annoyingly so, because when I can't stand him, I still just like him. And it makes you just like, I'm, I have disdain over the like I have for you right? But a few months into our relationship, I just said, you know what? I'm going to have to step back because I can love you. I could easily fall in love with you. I could easily decide that this is just, I'm just going to go down this road. I had to step back and say, wait a minute, is this really the right time? Is this the really the right person? Which is probably why we ended up engaged and then married so fast. Because we knew. We just, we'd already prayed about it. We had already had that defined. I'm just going to pray over you guys. If you want to talk or pray, I would love to pray for you or over you guys.
Lord God, we just thank you so much for the chance to be in your presence. Lord, we just thank you that we do not have to walk this earth trying to figure it all out. God, we just, we have your word. Thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can just dive in and just become in the image of you, that we can just be reformed. God, we just want to honor you in our life decisions. Lord, I just pray right now that you would just bless each person represented here, God. I just pray that there would be spiritual encounters in their lives, that God, you would be a constant reminder everywhere they go that you have such a special plan, that you have a very clearly defined blessing waiting for each of them. God, these are your children, and you are the, there is no father greater than you, and we know that there's nothing that you want to hold back from us. We just love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for this time. Amen.